Amen. Thank you so much, Miss Judy and Miss Kim. Brother Kevin, thank you, Heidi, for your ministry to us today. I love to see families sing together. Hang over there, but I got to notice something even maybe a little closer up here. And uh, as I looked, I looked over at Miss Kim and I saw this big tear rolling down the side of her cheek. With a song like that, Father, forgive them. Boy, thank you. Thank you so much. You can't preach after that. You need to turn in your ordination certificate. I'll tell you that right now. Amen. We've been continuing a, a series here in Hebrews chapter 11, known as the Great Hall of Faith. This is our fifth message so far. Lord willing, it should take us into April here in this passage of Scripture. Such a great <clears throat> passage. But we started off looking at the explanation of faith. We looked at Hebrews 10:38 and 11:1. 1 there, the differentiation of faith, and then we looked at the description of faith. Faith is the, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And uh, mentioned uh, W.A. Criswell's definition. I think it's probably one of the finest out there. Faith is the solid, unshakable confidence in God, which is built upon the assurance that He will be faithful to what He has promised. I think that really sums up the biblical faith. We looked at the decoration of faith in verse number 2 of our text. By it, the elders obtained a good report. And then the deduction of faith, verse 3. Uh, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Amen. That God simply spoke ex nihilo, out of nothing, and it was. Then we looked at the faith of Abel, the first, first character there. We looked at the way of his faith and the worth of his faith and the witness of his faith and the wonder of his faith, particularly in verse number 4. He being dead, yet speaketh. Amen. All these years later. Then we looked at the faith of Enoch and we looked how he walked with God and how he pleased God and how he was rewarded by God. Remember, he's one of two people in the entire Bible who were taken up to heaven without dying. And then last week we looked at the faith of Noah in verse number 7. Uh, there, if you look there, we talked about how he received the warning of God and he walked with God and he moved with the fear of God and he preached the word of God and he obeyed the voice of God and he saved a people for God and he contemned the world by God. You know, oftentimes faith can be hard to understand and sometimes even at times to define, but the Bible provides real people to, to illustrate this wonderful subject of faith. I like that. They, we need to keep in mind that these Old Testament characters that we're studying over these weeks were real people. They were real people. They had heartaches and sorrows, and other difficulties. Sometimes they soared to heights as they trusted God by faith. And other times, they went into deep despair as they faltered 
in faith. You know who I think the best Old Testament example of that is? Elijah. Remember Elijah? Elijah is probably my favorite Old Testament Bible, maybe Joseph, but Elijah, remember he just comes on the scene in 1 Kings 17 and he looks at that wicked king and he says, it is not going to rain until I say. And then he, he literally, God sends him off by the brook Cherith and with the widow and all that. Remember the next time he comes, it hasn't rained. And, and, and Ahab looks at him, King Ahab says, are you the one that troubles Israel? And by the way, I love his response. He said, no, it's you. It's you and your sin and your family that's worshiping Baal and all that. But you remember what happens after that. Elijah looks at the people and they don't know whether to serve Baal or whether to serve the Lord. And he says, hey, make up your mind. I'll, how long halt you between two opinions? And you remember what happened. They had a contest. And you remember what the contest was? It was they were to each put an offering there, a bullock, and, and the God that answered by fire. That was to be God, and, and the people held their peace. And you remember what happened? The, the Baal worshippers they cut themselves, and the blood gushed, and and you know Elijah mocked them, and nothing. And then finally, Elijah repaired the altar, put the sacrifice there, and said, "Get some water." And again, I always think about that. I think, where did they find that water in the middle of a drought? You know, but he said, "Fill it up and fill up that trench all around the offering." He said, "I want to make sure everybody knows who's answering in just a minute." You remember what happened? God answered by fire, and the Bible says it, it, it consumed the sacrifice and it licked up the water. I don't know about you, but when I look at that, that's about as spiritually high as you can get. What happens in the next chapter? He runs from Jezebel, sits under a juniper tree, and he says, God, would you just kill me? You know, when I read those passages, I'm glad God included those in the Word of God. Because here's, a, here's somebody we could look at and say, this is a spiritual superman. <clears throat> he prayed and it didn't rain. Then he prayed and fire came down from heaven. Later he would pray again and it would rain. I don't know about you, I've never had that kind of power in prayer. Come on, be honest, don't look at me like visitors from heaven today. I'm glad God recorded those highs, but I'm also glad he recorded the lows. Amen? And so, we can identify with these people. And so it's an encouragement for us to read about their lives. Before we study each of these lives. Before we look at, and we're going to, Lord willing, look at Abraham next week as well, a little bit of a different facet of his life. But before we study and look at these, we have to ask our, ourselves a question. How are we going to live our lives? Are we going to live by sight? Or are we going to live by faith? Because that's what this chapter is all about. I want to just encourage you this. In the day where everyone is living by feelings and getting their feelings hurt. By the way, including Christians. A little too much. L listen, my feelings change from moment to moment. My wife right now is not quite 50 years old. And ladies, she is going through what ladies go through at that age different feelings all the time. 
Sometimes she feels great, sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she punches me in the face, sometimes she stands on me and punches me. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. Amen. No. Listen, living by feelings is miserable. You're never satisfied, never happy. My feelings change all. Listen, I, I've quoted this poem countless times, the first, the first stanza by Martin Luther. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Listen, if you have a choice to live between faith and feelings, live by faith. Live by faith. So we, we have to ask ourselves, how am I going to live my life? Am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by sight? The most predominant illustration in the Old Testament of what it means to live by faith is the life of this character, Abram, who his name was changed to Abraham. We know him, Abraham. He's called in Romans 4.12, the father of the faithful. It said uh, that we would walk in the steps of that faith of our father, Abraham. He's called the friend of God in James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. I've said this before. How'd you like to have that on your tombstone? The friend of God. God made a promise to Abraham, and he believed that promise and began to live a life of faith. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. A life of faith starts with the promises of God. So today, Lord willing, and next Sunday as well, we're going to look at the faith of Abraham. Look, look again at the text with me, if you would. I just want to read through it, and then we'll, we'll get into some points here. It says, by faith, verse 8 of Hebrews 11, <clears throat> by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So let's look at this, this passage today, and, and I think I have three points and, and just some subpoints here, but it starts number one, a life of faith, the, the faith of Abraham starts number one with listening to God's promise. Listening to God's promise. So hold your place here in Hebrews and let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 because this is where it starts. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should afterwards receive for an inheritance. Okay? Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Now the Lord had, what's it say, church? Said unto Abram, Abraham, Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make, thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So what, what is happening here is Abraham lives in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. It was a place of sophistication. 
It, it, was, it was near the Persian Gulf, not far from Babylon. It was, uh, if you do just a little bit of study, it had highly developed art. It was a well-organized system of government. It was a complex religious system. The patron god of Ur was the moon god. And Abraham was reared, I love this by the way, Abraham was reared a pagan. He lived in a pagan land, part of pagan people. That's his rearing. You know, I, I think about that. This month will be uh, 28 years since I got saved, since I trusted Christ. I didn't, I didn't grow up going to Sunday school, going to an independent Baptist church. It's a blessing that God still saves and used people that were brought up without him. Now, thank God, my, my kids have been brought up with him. Your kids have been brought up with him, amen? But if you got saved a little bit later in life, listen to me, God can use you. He sure used Abraham. So he was reared a pagan. He was uh, a well-to-do businessman. Abram had flocks and herds we know of. And he had everything he wanted in life, and God spoke to him. You know, I've known... Many through the years. One of, one of the, I loved my time at Midwestern Baptist College. Uh, Carrie and I, I, I got saved in 1995, and, and we, I, both of us were baptized a year later. Carrie and I got married in 1996, and in 1997, we, we went off, I believe, just surrendered to the Lord and believe He wanted me to go to Bible college. And we went to Midwestern Baptist College, and our student body was probably about 120 at that point. And we had day students and night students and stuff. But the, the, and I, I love my instructors. I love my class. I didn't love all my classes. Like, I didn't like English lit, and, you know, I didn't like all those core psychology. And, but I loved the Bible classes. Just ate them up. Amen. But the, the class I loved the most was chapel. What you say, what was chapel? Chapel was when graduates of Midwestern Baptist College would come in and preach for about 30 minutes. Every day except Monday. The students would preach on Mondays. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we had chapel. And we had 40 years worth of graduates. So we had all these men with all these unique stories, Brother Lolly. And over and over and over, we'd hear the story. You know, I was, I was doing fine. I was 32 years old, and I was working, and, and had a family and all that. And God just moved in my heart to move into the ministry. And, oh, I mean, I can't tell you the time, amount of times I, I heard that story, and it just absolutely blew me away. Listen to this. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. This is not just for preachers. This is for Christians. God is still speaking. He does it through this. The problem is many of God's people are not listening. Listen to me. The problem is many times in our life, there's too much noise. There's too much noise. Sometimes it's a good idea to just shut the television off and unplug it and, and grab it and put it in the garage. <laughs> you can't live without the television. You can't, you can't. Listen, I'm somebody who actually, I love to have quiet music playing at almost all times. Then there are times, Mrs. Hurth, I've just got to shut it off and just be in that office in silence, trying to listen to God, trying to, trying to listen as God speaks. Listen, th this is so key to it all. It starts, a life of faith starts off with listening to God's promise. There are so many promises in this book for us, so many. 
and by the way, you could just say, well, you know, the Old Testament was written to, to the Jew, and, and it was, but there are some wonderful applications. Okay, just start in all the promises in the New Testament. There's a whole bunch of them. Matter of fact, 2 Peter 1.4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. There's so, so many. God just wants us to, God, God wants us to, to read them and, and to listen to what he's saying. Somebody as well said, this is the written voice of God. This is the written voice of God. So Abraham started out here by listening to God's promise. So we see the sophistication of Ur, but then there's the suddenness. In verse number 8, and again, I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar uh, I'm really not. Dr. Malone made sure we had kind of a basic understanding of Greek and Hebrew. And he used to joke all the time and he'd say, I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. And he said, the little Greek owns the pizza shop and the little Hebrew's my tailor. Amen. And uh, so I'm the same way. I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. Uh, the verb here, though, is, is a great word. It's, it's the, the word uh, in, in ch- verse 8 of Hebrews 11 where it says, he went out. He went out. It's the word excomai, excomai, and it means instantly, instantly. So when God said, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, he didn't say, well, let me think about it for a little while. Let, let me go back and talk to dad and, and see what he says. And again, I'm not against counsel or anything like that, but when God tells you to do something, you don't need any more counsel than him. The suddenness was he, listen, God called and Abraham said, yes, sir. Would to God, ladies and gentlemen, that the people who name the name of Christ, when God says, we would say, yes, sir. You know, I think about that in the area of witnessing. I think if there's one area, most of us would say, ooh, you you just had to get on that preach. You just had to get to meddling about witnessing. Is witnessing easy? No. No, it's not. What did God say about witnessing? He said, I will be with you. He said, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So you know what that means? We're supposed to say when God says, I want you to, wait. I want you to carry gospel tracts. I want you to be a witness. You know what we're supposed to say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, I remember early in my Christian life struggling with giving struggling with, with this idea, uh, the idea of the tithe and even giving to missions beyond that. But I've told a story before. Uh, when I first started giving, I was giving off the net. I said, I'm giving off the net. That's, I'm going to give 10%, but it's going to be off the net because everybody takes a bite out of your check, amen. Uncle FICA and Uncle SSI and all these uncles we didn't even know we had, amen. Uh, and I just said, you know, I'm just going to give off the net. God worked on my heart. I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. And Miss Kim, I just, way back then, I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You will always be better off when God says something to you in his word of you just saying, yes, sir. Listening to his promise. So there's the sophistication of her. There's the suddenness of, of the obedience. And then there's the spectacular in this text. Look at it there in verse 8, the last part of verse 8. I... I'm to, every time I read this, it still blows me away. It says there, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into place, which he should afterward receive for inheritance, obeyed, 
And he went out, so immediately. And then what's it say at the end? Not knowing whither he went. You know, tonight I'm going to talk about uh, some quirks. Some, some quirks. You know, we all have quirks. And we all have things that push our buttons. Can I tell you probably the, one of the things, <laughs> the older I get, it, it might as well just be like a self-destruct button that I have on my life, is when I am with my family and we are stopping somewhere to Wendy's or McDonald's or whatever, any, any other horrible fast food place, and we get, Brother Hutchins, to the place where you are to place your order. I should already have everybody's orders in the car. Somebody say amen right now. I need a little help to preach, amen. <laughs> I should already have everybody's order. Not like, um, wah-hah, and I'm literally sitting there like, It, thankfully, there's no camera on. Uh, maybe there is. I don't know. Those employees looking at me like, like I'm sitting there like, please, you should have, you know, we've been sitting in line for 17 minutes. You could have had your order ready. I just don't, uh, that's just a quirky thing. I, every time I read about Abraham and God says, I want you to go and leave her the Chaldees. Really, Kevin, I think to myself, okay, which direction would you like me to go? Anybody else read that? Which, should I go west? Should I go east? Should I go north? Should I go south? No, you should just go. Okay. Right? I mean, do, does anybody else read that like this? Like, just, you know what? Here's, here's really what it is. The key is the person who told him. Who's God Almighty? He said, go. He said, okay, I'll go. Go. Listen, you know why? We have, Lord willing, praise the Lord for this. We have 60 missionaries that we support as a church family. It's still to this day, when I think about my tenure in, in going on 14 years as pastor, it's one of the most remarkable things that I have ever known is our missions program. It really is. Do you know every one of those missionaries at some point said, yes, I'll go. Many of them said, yes, I'll go, and I don't know where you want me to go yet, but I'll go. That's what Abraham did. He was, he was list. The spectacular is that God does not always show us ahead of time where we are going. Abraham could live by faith because he listened to the one who had promised. See, the call on your life by God has to do with the character of God himself. You know what that means? And I, I listen, ladies and gentlemen, I have absolutely learned this in my life. It used to be so cliche, I heard it so many times, like, huh, where God guides, he provides. Where God guides. So you got to make sure it, that God's guiding. I'll never forget, when I came to be your pastor, Brother Bill Horsch asked me the question, uh, we were in uh, pulpit committee time, and he said, are you absolutely certain that God calling you to Loomis Park Baptist Church. That was after the pulpit committee considered 17 men 
and they all chose my name. All of them. That was, I'll never forget that. He was, he, listen to me, a life of faith, a life of faith starts with listening to God's promise. My faith is small. Get in this book. Get in. Listen, life is going to cramp down. Life is going to clamp down on you. Things come into our lives. You have got to carve out time to be in this book. Carve out time. Put, put it in airplane mode, folks. Huh? Put it in airplane mode. Get in the book, listening to God's promise. So there's the sophistication of Ur, there's the suddenness of Abraham's obedience, there's the spectacular. He goes not knowing where he would go. So there's listening to God's promise. Then secondly, if you look at verse number 9, we see him living by God's promise. Not only listening to God's promise, but living in God's promise. It says there, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So the first thing we see here is I think we see his separation. That's idea here of the, the tabernacle or the tent represents his separation from the world. I have to tell you, this is a doctrine that even God's people don't like preached. Never have, never will, but especially now. There are churches that cater to a lack of personal separation. Listen, I, I was thinking about this, and this week a, a young pastor contacted me. He said, Pastor, uh, I'm, I'm struggling with some dress standards and in regards to church leadership and things like that. Could you give me some advice? And I said, I said listen, you, you, need to, you need to just set the bar and say, look, for, for the idea of modesty, for the idea of continuity, we'd like men to dress like men and ladies to dress like ladies. You know, we talk about the world being so mixed up. Well, I'm going to tell you, a lot of churches are all mixed up about that. Amen? And so this, this idea of separating, just, just trying to help. Like, look, you don't have to be a jerk. You don't, you don't have to be, have your thumb on everybody. And I gave, I gave the example. He was asking me about ladies wearing pants. And if you're a lady wearing pants today, I promise you, I'm not looking and I'm not noticing. But he asked me about that. He's like, you know, I think it's this and I think it's that and I think it's this. And I told him a few years ago, we had a business meeting on the last Wednesday of January. And it was negative 38 degrees with the wind chill. Remember that, folks? Remember the crazy guy who didn't cancel the meeting and ended up, up on the side of the road that day on Zavodsky Curve there on Kennedy Road? Yes, amen. And you know what I said? I said, some of our ladies had the audacity to come in pants that night. And I preached on 45 minutes on why you shouldn't wear pants. No, I didn't either. I thank God they came. Amen. Now, do I think, listen... You, my wife wears a skirt. She always will. Just, just what she, how she views modesty. If you're going to sing up here, ladies, we request that you wear a skirt. If you're going to sing in the choir, we request you wear a skirt. If you're going to teach Sunday school, we request you wear a skirt. But listen to me. That is not the whole idea of separation. Separation is always unto God first my heart unto God. I want to please God. And Abraham dwelling in tents was his way of saying, I am separating from that old life there in Ur of the Chaldees. So it's a 
his separation. He, he remained separate from the rest of the population. He separated himself from a godless society in a culture to live a new night lifestyle. The tent reminded Abraham of the temporary nature of the world. You know, praise God, one day separation won't be required. There'll be nothing to be separated from. I, I think it's, I wonder how interesting it's going to be where God's people live next to each other. Miss Judy, I wonder if those ones that were fussing and feuding with each other down here on earth are going to have to live right next door to each other. Amen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But he was living by God's promise, his separation, but then his participation. If you look, <clears throat> we don't have time, but you go to Genesis chapter 18, and remember, God says, uh, he, the, the Trinity is speaking, said, shall we hide that thing uh, from Abraham that we're going to do? Seeing that, that he, knowing that he will, the Bible says, I know him and he will command his children and his household after them and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Abraham passed his life of faith on to his family. And I want to tell you something, if you're here today, if you're a second gen Christian, if you're a third gen Christian, you have a precious gift. Don't squander it. I'm a first-gen. I'm a first-gen Christian. I am hopefully, uh, we were uh, talking, uh, I've been doing this devotion for my, my boys out of Proverbs, and this week was uh, Proverbs 13, 22, and it talks about how a good man leaveth an inheritance for, to his children's children, but uh, the wealth of the just is laid, or the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And I got to talking to my kids, I said, I hope what I can leave you is a legacy. I hope what your mother and I can leave you is a legacy of people that genuinely believed God, loved God, listened to God, and lived for God. By the way, you don't have to be a preacher to do that. Some of the finest Christians that I know that are going to the front of the line in heaven never spent any time in pulpits, but went to the factory or went to the job every day, lived for the Lord, tried to be a witness so his separation, he separated from the world. His participation, he passed his life and faith on to his family. He reaped what he sowed, by the way. I love the song. It's in our hymnal. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world I will tell you in all honesty, getting saved 28 years ago and trying to walk with the Lord all of those 28 years, Miss Judy, the longer I'm saved, the less I feel at home. The more I look around at this world, the less I feel at home. I feel like a, a stranger and a pilgrim, as it says. It's like, I've told the story before about me helping out in my buddy's band after all those years and then getting saved and standing behind that column speaker and the Holy Spirit with music just blaring in this bar that the Holy Spirit in this soft, still voice just told me, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. You know what? People that are lost don't hear that voice. Huh? This world's not my home. Just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. 
We finally got it then, Brother Brooks. Amen. No more battles to fight anymore. Hallelujah. Their song of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. What do we see in Abraham? We see him, first of all, listening to God's promise. We see him living by God's promise. And then lastly this morning, we see him looking for God's promise. Look what it says there in verse 10. So great. Really, verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, the promised land, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles and with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city. So he's dwelling in a tent, but he's looking for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. By the way, people have taken that out of context and say you should never own a home or anything like that. You can have a home here. But just know, don't put your tent pegs down too deep. Don't get so attached to this world because one day Jesus is going to shout and he's going to detach you from it. Amen? What I see here in him looking for that promise, it's a forward look. It's a forward look. Forward look. What is that? That's the look of anticipation. That's a blessing. We have a little calendar. We have one that we got when we've gone to Disney before. And it's, it's basically, Miss Joanne, it's a, it's a days to Disney calendar. And it has these little blocks and you flip them. You know, each day you flip them. And you say, well, what is that? That's just, just a little anticipation for us. Each day, you know, Cotty will say, Dad, you're going to change the day. Change the day. Well, it's, it's 242 days now. And then a little later, it's 164 days. And what is it? It's about anticipation. Brother Kinser, we, looked at, we look at that last day when we turn, it's a zero. And it's about 3.30 a.m. and we're heading for the airport. Amen. <laughs> Listen, ladies and gentlemen, look what it says here. It says he looked for a city. He's, he's anticipating heaven. I'll tell you this, I'm anticipating heaven. I'm, I'm anticipating that place where there's no more sickness, sorrow, death, where there's no more struggle, glory to God, where there's no more sinful nature that I'm going to have to struggle against. I don't have, I don't have to, it's not going to bother me anymore. I'm going, to see, I'm going to see loved ones. I'm going to see people I've reached for Christ. I'm going to see missionaries that we helped. I'm going to see people that got saved because somebody from this church left a gospel track somewhere. It's going to take a while. You better bring a lunch. Amen? Anticipation. You know what? Also, I believe this forward look is a look of direction. There's a great passage in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus says, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking is fit for the kingdom of God. I believe Abraham that he got this forward look and he said, Look, I'm not looking back to Ur of the Chaldees. I'm not looking back, forgive me, I'm not looking back to the glory days. The glory days are ahead. So it was a look of anticipation. It was a look of direction. It was a look of vision. He was heading somewhere. 
Not only was it a forward look, but it was also an upward look. Abraham knew there was something beyond the tent pegs that he drove into the sand. God must have told him about that wonderful city. One of my favorite hymns, it's a beautiful hymn for a high lady solo voice. Miss Kim Wetzel, if you want to sing it sometime. Amen. It's called The Pearly White City. Beautiful song. It says this, There's a holy and beautiful city whose ruler and builder is God. John saw it descending from heaven when Patmos in exile he trod. Its high massive wall is of jasper, The city itself is pure gold. When my frail tent here is folded, mine eyes shall its glory behold. No sin is allowed in that city, and nothing defiling or mean. No pain and no sickness can enter. Here's an old phrase. No crepe on the doorknob is seen. It meant somebody died. Earth's sorrows and cares are forgiven. No tempter is there to annoy. No parting words ever are spoken. There's nothing to hurt or destroy. No heartaches are known in that city. No tears ever moisten the eyes. There's no disappointment in heaven. No envy and strife in the sky. The saints are all sanctified, holy. They live in sweet harmony there. My heart now is set on that city. And someday, its blessings I'll share. In the bright city, pearly white city, I'll have a mansion, a harp, and a crown. Now I am watching waiting and longing for the bright city which soon's coming down. He's listening to God's promise. He was living by God's promise. and He was looking for God's promise. How about you today? Listen, pastor, I'm just, I'm just, not in the Word of God like I should be. I promise you, God is talking. God is trying to speak to you. He, He, when we think about the cross, we think about salvation, yes, absolutely. We think about our eternity, yes. But can I tell you, when you think about the cross, think about this, that's how much God wanted to have a relationship with you. Don't ignore Him. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen. Can I be a little blunt? Dust it off. Tomorrow. Tuesday. Wednesday. Every day that ends in Y, and all God's people said. Not just for Sunday to have as an ornament to go under your arm. Right? Listening to God's promise. But then living by God's promise. Listen, God... God expects His people, if I could put it this way, God expects His people, through His strength and His power, to act like it. Hmm? To be separated. To, to, to do some things because we love them and not do some things because we love them. 
to, to, to act a certain way, to, to, to look a certain way, to talk a certain way, because we belong to Him. You know, the older I get, I'll tell my kids, don't forget who your mother and father are. Do you know my kids can cause me to have to resign this ministry? Did you know that? Yes, they can. If they are totally out of order, then I don't have my home in order. I tell them, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, we, we are God's kids. And we don't want to give the world a bad name because of the way we act. So this idea of living by God's promise, it, it, and we see it in Abraham, it involves separation and it involves participation, amen? transferring our faith to our family. Again, if you're here and you're second generation or third generation or fourth generation Christian, remember you have a precious gift. If you're a first generation and you're raising the next generation, please communicate your faith to them. Live it. Best way you can do, best way you can transfer that faith is live it out. And then looking for God's promise. He looked for a city. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. It's, it's a real place. Dr. John Rice told the story years ago how he had written a book on heaven and, and sent it to Moody Press to be uh, just uh, corrected, to have him look through it and look through the grammar and all that. And every time he wrote heaven, he capitalized it. And every time in the book, Brother Downing, they sent it back to him and they said, you don't capitalize heaven. And Dr. Rice wrote back to them and said, do you capitalize Dallas? He said, do you capitalize Chicago? Do you capitalize New York? Do you capitalize Miami? He said, well, those are real places. And he said, I have just as much right to capitalize heaven as you do to capitalize any of those. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going somewhere. Let's make sure we're looking and heading in the right direction. Again, I mentioned... I mentioned about the, the Super Bowl in, in Sunday school. Set your affection on things above. Set your gaze. Set your eyes. Amen. Look toward the things that would please God. So he listened to God's promise. He lived by God's promise, and he looked for God's promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you.